Friday, what we call Good Friday. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, no, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. A number of years ago, I began to question, is Christianity really true? Things were not working out as I had hoped. So I decided to go back to basics, why I believed what I believed about Christianity. I ended up realising that the authenticity of my faith was entirely rooted in one question. Did God raise Jesus Christ from the dead? I had to come to the conclusion, after a lot of study on the resurrection and evidence for and against, that the evidence was so strong, it put steel girders almost deep down in my soul and my mind and my will, that Jesus was unique. His words were totally trustworthy, and that his death on the cross for my sin totally, was totally validated by God the Father, by raising him from the dead. The Apostle Paul, a previous persecutor of the early Christians, had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. Basically, Jesus said to him, Paul, stop it. And he wrote later on in his ministry, as it developed, as we now know the Apostle Paul, he wrote to, a, uh, to Christians in a Greek city called Corinth these words. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain 
and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have been perished. If if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all most to be pitied. But he goes on. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that means died. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We all have doubts. It's what we do with them that counts. And I want to focus today on one man who witnessed the events of what happened on that hill we call Calvary, just outside Jerusalem. At the beginning of that most famous days, he was what current market researchers on religious spiritual trends would describe describe as one of the nons. Spiritual, but not religious. Not rejected God, but only rejection of religion and belief. Not a seeker, and not looking for one either. Not looking for anything either. Such people like that, they're they're not longing, but they're empty. They're left to feel the world's sickness without any narrative to explain it. No experience of God, They might describe where you are this morning. Yet this hardened centurion soldier who had seen so many unnecessary deaths, so much war and violence, so much suffering, the loss of his friends, saw something on that day he'd never seen before. The earthquake terrified him. It wasn't just a normal earthquake, as would be common in that area. He saw something in those three hours that changed his worldview, his preconceptions, his prejudices, and they were replaced with a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. I want us to take a look at some of the things that caused him to reevaluate his understanding of this man hanging on the cross. One of the eyewitnesses, Matthew, records in what we call a gospel, describe what happens. Now I just want to say this, in regard to the gospel's authenticity, you have to bear in mind that these gospel accounts were written and copied and they they were distributed and they were under, under scrutiny by people who had either been there or had friends who had been there at that time either to confirm or ridicule Matthew's account. It's that stark. Matthew recalls four extraordinary things 
given by God to make us think. They're called signs. And a sign is something from God. It authenticates God's power of hundreds of others. Sorry, I I misquoted myself there. It, It authenticates God's power and his eternal purpose, especially by doing what mere man could never do. I like seeing these um, TV illusionists, you, on the telly. You think, how do they do that? There's one man, he swallows a necklace, then he reaches out his hand into his stomach and he pulls out a necklace. Have you seen that trick? How did he do that? Well, by sleight of hand, you think he swallowed it, then there's a, a prosthetic stomach he puts inside and it's not his real stomach and he pulls it out, but he looks so clever. What we're talking about today is not trickery. Those nails really went into flesh and blood. The spear really went into the side. The thorn of crowns really was placed on his head. I get one blackberry thorn on my finger and I'm suffering for a day. This man had thorns pressed into his skull. Jesus shed real blood. Now, Matthew recorded that there was darkness over all the land for three hours. So I've been asking myself, is there any non-biblical evidence for this that is recorded? It's pretty obvious to ask that question. The answer is yes, there is. In AD 52, the Greek historian Thallus, spelled T-H-A-L-L-U-S, wrote a history of Eastern Mediterranean world from the Trojan War to his own time. A reference was found in his writings, and I never knew this till this week, because I'm still discovering facts about what happened. That there, that there was this cosmic report, to quote, on the whole world, known at that time, there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake. And many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. He continued in another one of his chronicles, as appears to me without reason an eclipse of the sun. Now why the darkness? We see in the Old Testament prophets that point to this day, the prophet Amos said this, in speaking in chapter 8 and verse 9 of his book, the book of Amos, he said this, God said, I will, it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. In what day does the Lord do that? The day of divine judgment. It was a day of judgment, Calvary was. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote this, 5.21. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that moment, Jesus Christ became sin. And he poured God's justice, his righteous anger upon the sin that was placed upon Jesus. Jesus willingly doing this. 
He took it so that we might be forgiven, that God's justice might be satisfied and we might have peace with him. We might know his love and his justice be satisfied. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. He wasn't just talking about the physical suffering. In that moment on the cross, he became sin. That's why you will read Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he knew in that moment the, the, diso- the, 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 the separation that sin causes from God. Secondly in this, God was bringing his judgment down on a religious temple system that worshipped God, but they had rejected his son. The temple curtain was torn in two. It was a new era of grace and truth. And this leads to the second sign. It does say in verse 51 that Matthew records the temple curtain of this holy temple of, uh, of Jerusalem where you can now see, still see the wall of Herod's temple. It said the temple curtain which separates the most holies of holiest places were basically three rooms. The inner, the inner temple, this inner holy of holiest place was a place where God's Shekinah glory would dwell. And only the priest could go in there, the high priest could go in there. This temple valley wasn't like the, the curtains we'd see there. They were 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and the thickness of a man's palm. They were so heavy that there had to be 300 priests had to manoeuvre the curtains into position. 300, so heavy. Signifying the holiness of God and man's separation from God, God's otherness. Yet we see the veil being rent from top to bottom. That's such a terrible sign because it indicated that God's hand had done it. In the early writings of the church fathers after the first apostles, Jerome relates that the huge lintel of the temple was broken and splintered and fell. He connects this with the rending of the veil, saying the Jewish biblical cal- also the, the Jewish biblical scholar Eidashim, who I really enjoy reading. It says, he says this, it would seem an obvious inference to connect again the breaking of the lintel through be it the earthquake. The lintel was enormous stone being at least 30 feet long and weighing some 30 tons. It was a tearing of the temple curtain from top to bottom. The earthquake was more significant than you and I would believe. We need to understand this. Why was this so significant? Some know the answer to this because you live in the reality of it. The imagery is profound. The temple curtain restricted ordinary people like you and me from access directly to a holy God, a holy, loving God. There's total purity. Holiness is total purity. But now the way is open. The writer to the Hebrews said this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, 
and since we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God. I'm still driving around with this in my window screen. And I notice other people aren't paying the tax. Actually, I'm realising I'm the only one driving around now with this tax disc on. You are. Come on, hands up. Anybody else still driving? It's obsolete. You don't need to do it if you've paid your tax. But I think just in case. Just in case I get... Are any policemen in the house? Yes, I know you are. Don't hand up. Just in case I get stopped, I want to make double sure. I don't need it anymore. It's been superseded. We do not need now to go through a priest to find Jesus Christ. It's been superseded. We don't need to have that fear anymore because it's been superseded by the grace of God. Take the task disc out your window, stick that on your fridge as a reminder that the temple curtain has been ripped in two and you can have access to God every day of your life. Yeah, I'm sorry. God was judging and doing away with an obsolete religious system where the priest had the channel of access to God. And God ripped it in two with a mighty earthquake. The lintel was cracked. The curtain came, the curtain came down. Religion says do. Jesus said done. It is finished. Thirdly, the earth shook and the rock split. This would explain how the temple curtain was ripped in two by God. He could do it supernaturally without the earthquake, but he chose, I believe, the earthquake to do it. Makes sense, really. Now, researchers have looked at te textual accounts, geological records, and astronomical data to find the most likely date of Jesus' death. I like this sort of thing. Geologist Jefferson Williams, this is new to me, I've only just found this out this week, of Supersonic Geophysical. What a, what a, what a great company to work for. I work for Geo, Supersonic Geophysical. And colleagues from the German Research Centre of Geosciences studied soil samples from the beach at Ein Gedi Spa next to the Dead Sea. Williams said the earthquake in question occurred during the years when Pontius Pilate was procurator of Judea. And when this earthquake of the Gospel of Matthew is it's historically constrained in that period, researching the deeper layers of soil, two earthquakes in particular were detected by looking at the layer of buildup of sediment called valves. I'm sure that's right, Josh. Which built up each year as a big widespread earthquake is known to have happened in B.C. 31. Sorry, no, um, well, B.C. 31. So A.D. 31, big point, A.D. 31. Putting the jigsaw together, Williams said the researchers concluded that these clues, combined with the Jewish calendar and astronomical figures, indicated this happened. What is the significance of this earthquake and the rock splitting? Well, God himself, this is fascinating. Hang on. God himself indicated on Mount Sinai that Moses recorded on the morning of the third day, this is when the, the Ten, Commandments were, Ten Commandments were given, right? On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast. 
so that all the people in camp trembled on the third day. Sinai was the prophecy of Calvary. Calvary was the fulfilment of Sinai. Sinai was a sinner's wretchedness and ruin because we all stand guilty before God when he gives the Ten Commandments. They were given to point us to Jesus. The sinner's recovery is seen at Calvary. Sinai was God's relentless voice of condemnation. Calvary was God's fatherly voice of pardon and peace. It is finished. The payment for sin is available. It's been done. William Nicholson, the great Irish preacher, they called him the tornado of the pulpit. He said this, it was Calvary answering back to Sinai. There had been an earthquake on Sinai where the law was given hundreds of years prior. There was a far greater rock-splitting earthquake at Calvary where grace came. The wrath of Sinai was now hushed with the mercy of Calvary. I want you to note this. The earthquake did not displace the Saviour's cross. Calvary itself was shaking. It opened graves, yet not all the graves were there open, only selected graves, the graves of the saints. It was as if the earthquake was a living thing with divine intelligence discriminating the various dead at Golgotha. In conclusion, else I've never seen before studying in such depth. The morning of the resurrection, Matthew records this. After Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. <laughs> I can understand why now. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 says this. This is a book in the New Testament. Nearly finished. Hebrews 12, 25 
to 29. See to it then, you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At this time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. We're an earthquake people. You've got to get used to earthquakes because there'll be one final earthquake when God will announce the end and he's rolling it all up and his precious son will come again. And until that day, we will follow him, we will tell others about him,